Hi, my name is John and I'm from the Clean Insights team. Today, I want to talk to you about privacy preserving measurement and how Clean Insights fits into that landscape. So today we'll, we'll take a survey of all the privacy preserving techniques that are out there, actually not all of them, but, but a small but useful subset of them and how Clean Insights fits in there, right? And then by the end of this talk, hopefully you'll have a sense of whether or not Clean Insights or other technologies are right for your organization. Right? What's the right way for you to handle privacy? As scope, there's there's available packages and then there are techniques in the world, right? And the available packages are things like Clean Insights, right? Near and dear to my heart, Matomo, Plausible, or Google Analytics, which is more the business as usual approach, right? There are also techniques that are out there. And here I've got kind of the technical names. You may be familiar with them, you may not. The good news is you don't need to know their technical names. We're going to talk about them in plain English, and then you can kind of dig in and, and go down that rabbit hole if you find a particular area that's most important uh, or most relevant to what you're trying to accomplish. If you've got any questions about this, you can always reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you um, and figure out which of these techniques are right for you and, and how to apply them. So let's start here. Why would we want to do private analytics in the first place? And you know, my favorite answer to that is it's, it's not nice to spy on people. You can learn what you want to learn without keeping elaborate dossiers on every single user. So think about the difference between users spend 20% longer on the redesigned site. Maybe that's what you're going for, right? That may be all you're looking to find out is, are they spending more or less time? Was this a good redesign, right? Contrast that with the way that data is usually gathered, which is I know exactly how long each user, including you, spent on my site, right? You don't have to spy on people. You don't have to get that kind of granular, personalized data to answer the question you've really got because none of us are actually sitting here looking at every click of every single user all the time. That's, that's not even what we're up to. So why bother collecting in the first place? It's not nice. Also, leaks happen. On the right, this is a list from Wikipedia of all of the leaks that, that, that they've recorded. You'll notice this, this gets partway through the A's, right? And the number of records is just unconscionably large, right? Just like you don't keep toxic chemicals in your home, you don't want to keep toxic data in your database. If it gets hacked, if it gets leaked, it shouldn't hurt if it doesn't have to. So don't keep toxic things around. Repurposing also happens. Sometimes you build something thinking it's only going to be used for good then different things happen. On the right, uh, you can see there's a news story about a suicide hotline that began selling data with a for-profit spinoff, right? And I would imagine that the engineers and the designers who built that product in the first place certainly did not have that use in mind when they built it, and yet that data was able to be repurposed for what feels to me like nefarious ends, right? Subpoenas also happen. So in your country, in your, say, cloud providers, country, or anywhere that your business might operate, you might be subject to legal pressure to reveal information about your users. So you might ask yourself, who are my users and who wants to know what about them, right? And it might turn out that even if you're not in the space of something sensitive, you might be, say, mapping software. Uh, it turns out that the government might have a strong interest in the behavior of your users and, and later on subpoena you for that. Right on the right, we see that the, the government sought a list of all people who were within a certain geographic area, knowing full well that Google had that information. And last, this is counterintuitive, but you get better data through private analytics for two reasons. Number one, 
when you're doing things that are very invasive, users are finely tuned to it. They want to turn it off. They want to hit no. And if you actually do the best practices of asking for that consent, the UK's own office that, that promulgates such best practices found that 90% of users did not consent. So first of all, you're getting just that 10%. I will be willing to wager that those are not a representative 10%. And so your data is already a little bit mucked with at that point. The other reason you get better data is that when you do privacy preserving analytics, you're asking up front what it is you want to know and you're being really deliberate about it. And that kind of mindfulness pays a lot of dividends over time because the data you end up with is data that is relevant to you, that is going to help you make better decisions, not just a pile of stuff that A, you got to spend a lot of time to sift through anyways, and B, may not be relevant to the problems you're actually trying to solve as an organization. right? So, so you do have opportunities to get better data even though you're doing what seems like a more sparing approach. I'll also say you probably know more about privacy preserving measurement than you might think. And that's because we do deal with these techniques, but we see them through a different lens. You know, we might think of web analytics as fundamentally different than when we go to the polls to vote. Um, but in both cases, what you're trying to do is produce a trustworthy aggregate response. For example, what percent of people prefer candidate A or what percent of people take action B in an application, right? Without revealing anything sensitive about each participant. So for example, in my hometown, they may know that I voted, right? Or that I am registered. They may know the total of votes for each candidate in a precinct, but they do not know who voted for who, right? And there's little technologies that they use for that. So you've got the glass globe or, or a bag kind of suspended in air, and that shows that no one's messing with the pile of votes. And so at the end of the day, as they're counted, you know that Yes, these, you know, n number of people walked by and put something in, and that's exactly what we're going to take out. And it encourages some trust in the system because we can all see how it's operating. The best way to figure out, you know, say, say you've decided you want to do analytics and you say, okay, I need to figure out what package I'm going to use. The best way to do that is to start by asking what kind of privacy you want, what techniques to use, and then use that to guide you to what analytics package is right. There are a lot of different types of privacy you might want. This is just kind of a sketch of it that we put together. It's not exhaustive, but it covers most of the, the common aspects. One is anonymity. You may say, I want this information, but I don't need to know who you are, right? I don't need to know who the user is. So I want to know which combination of WebMD pages each user looked at, right, would be an example. And I don't just want to know account for each page. I need to know that if you looked at page A and page C, Right, or page C and page Q, because I want to understand which conditions uh, users experience together and research at the same time. Right, uh, but I don't want to know who each user is. I just want to know that like user A did this, that, and the other thing, and user B did, you know, these two other things. You might also want non-toxicity, right? And this is we talked about those leaks. You say, listen, I just don't want the database to be a liability to me or to my users. Right? One way to approach that is to take only what you need in the first place. And we'll talk about some other strategies. Confidentiality. Right? You may say, I object to the idea of just because I want analytics on my website, feeding that data to a company that uses it for surveillance capitalism. Right? Uh, you may want to have sovereignty over the data you're collecting. Right? You're already building your own application. You have some sovereignty over that. Have sovereignty over the analytics data you collect as well. And last is legality. This one is boring but it is omnipresent, something we all deal with. Um, 
you may want to give privacy guarantees that meet the legal requirements in jurisdictions that you are subject to. One really good way of doing that is doing things that are inherently private and keep you further from that line as that becomes a moving target, right? We see different rulings and different laws passed all the time. If you're doing something that's inherently private and not pushing the limits, it means you're less likely to constantly have to change in order to keep up with the changing regimes and you'll still be able to run your business or your organization really effectively. Um, you may have a different set of needs. You may be mixing and match these. If you don't know what they are yet, let's talk. Uh, we at Clean Insights love to help people figure out what's right for them in this space. Uh, if you do choose to come talk to us, uh, visit cleaninsights.org beans. We will mail you a bag of these real live coffee beans, our, our house label, and uh, you can grind these up and brew them and enjoy them during our conversation. So we've asked what kinds of privacy we want. We now ask what kind of techniques should I use to give me that kind of privacy? So this is a quick kind of tour of it and, and we'll talk about it in plain English. There are a number of ways that you can establish anonymity that might be appropriate in different circumstances. One is to forward data through a trusted intermediary who's not gonna tattle on you. This is the asking for a friend principle, right? Uh, you can say, I'm going to hand everything to a trustworthy an anonymizer, and uh, that will hand it on to the eventual source. And basically that means that the data collector only ever speaks to the anonymizer, and so doesn't know who any of the end users are. Um, that has to be trusted. Uh, you can do that cryptographically, or you can do that through social trust mechanisms, an organization, for example, with a strong reputation for privacy. Another option is to say what happened and not who did it. We gave that example earlier about WebMD. Sometimes you can't get away from it, needing to know that the same user did action A and action B, but sometimes you can. So you just say page X was visited, not user A visited page X. The less you collect, the less likely it is to be able to re be re-identified later on and used to harm users. You can also be forgetful, right? So I might remember today who you are from an hour ago, but I might delete that identifier frequently. So I might be able to see what a user did within the course of a day, but I'm not keeping a lifelong dossier on every site they've ever visited or every page they've ever visited on my site. You can also use a trusted broker. And this kind of addresses anonymous from whom, right? The census, for a number of reasons, collects detailed data in the United States about each household. But even researchers who use household data don't see the entirety of that data. They see an anonymized subset of it. So you're trusting that census data or census bureau to guarantee your anonymity by hiding parts of it. It's a weak guarantee, but if you have a trusted entity, it can be a powerful model depending on who you are, right? Server-side measurement is another option that's out there. If users are doing most of their interactions with your server anyway, you don't need to install additional software that's sending additional traffic over the wire just to enable analytics, right? A lot of folks think about it as, hey, I want to do analytics. I need an analytics product. A lot of analytics products are all built to work on the client anyway. Therefore, I add that. The answer might be that you have all the, the interesting information in hand already, and you don't need to instrument the user's device and start doing things and sending things over the wire that might be revealing. Last, you've got a random identifier. Uh, instead of an IP address or PII. This is a, you know, 
somewhat straightforward approach, but it's flimsy, right? If I give you a random identifier, but I know three IP addresses that you were at during the day, maybe it's your school, your home, and a restaurant near your home, I can pretty quickly identify who you are. So these may not be as strong a guarantee as you want, but it is better than saying, you know, let's keep the name John Smith of 123 Main Street in our database. When we look at non-toxicity, right, which is another aspect, that's the good, I've got this database, maybe it's anonymous, maybe it's not, uh, but I want it to be relatively harmless if it is revealed or cracked open. There's a couple techniques that are out there. You can collect only what you need. Very straightforward, collect only what you need, right? Why bother having anything else? That's just a liability in the, the context of toxicity. You can be vague. so. You could record what latitude and longitude somebody's at. You could record their IP address. You could fingerprint their browser. You could do any number of things. But if what you really want to know is how many users are coming from each country, you could just record how many users are coming from each country and throw the rest of it away. Right? You don't, you don't need data finer grained than how you're going to analyze it. So be suitably vague. You can also aggregate early. This is one that we really like with Clean Insights. Rather than every single time something measurable happens, sending data over the wire, aggregated on device. You can do something like say, hey, how many times a week do users open this application? But you don't need to send, you know, and maybe you get the answer 33, but you don't need to send 33 different requests, one each time they open it, that would reveal a user's waking hours, right? Which was not something you were interested in the first place. Another technique is to add noise. And the math to this is complex sometimes, but a simple example is if I want to know the average age of my users, I could get that by asking everyone to please report their age plus or minus a random number between 1 and 100, right? And if you report to me 50, all I know is you're between negative 50 and 150 years old, right? I, I learn very little about you, but if I had a million users do the same thing, I would get the average age pretty accurately. So noise can be a great strategy for protecting an individual's data. Uh, you also have kind of the idea of transparency. One good way to do that is explicit and qualitative engagement. When people answer questions and you survey them or you talk to them, they understand what they're revealing and what they're sharing and what the context is. It's a lot different than kind of watching everything in the background and taking you know, digital notes like we often see with analytics packages. You can also do multi-party computing. Uh, make it so that no single person can read the data. And this is complex. And explaining even the basics of it is beyond the scope of, of this talk. But suffice to say, if you split the data upright, no individual could look and peek at the data and figure out what the fact about user A was or what the fact about user B was. They have to co collectively compute it together. And what they can see then is the fact aggregated across all of the users of interest. So you could say, how many visits to this page did we have? across all users, but we can't say, did user A visit that page? Very powerful um, and complex, but, but provides some really excellent guarantees. You can also reveal data that's not unique. So there have been cases where browser makers want to understand what the most common home pages are. And so they want to understand, you know, how many users have NewYorkTimes.com versus The Guardian as their home page? But they don't want to know if you have some individual idiosyncratic use, uh, homepage. 
they don't they don't want that data at all there are cryptographic approaches that you can take that only reveal what that number or what that homepage is if at least n people and you get to pick the n also submit that so basically make sure that you're only revealed if you're in good company as having done that um, action there are also all the anonymity talk uh, subjects we talked about earlier can be very powerful for non-toxicity too. The further you can disconnect the data you do have from the identities of the users, the less likely it is to come back at that user. For confidentiality, you always have the option to keep it to yourself. If you are self-hosting the data and it's on your own server, it's not sent to third parties who might have mixed or changing incentives. right? And remember, those incentives can also include legal pressure. So it doesn't have to do solely with their own intentions. You can also have a lawyer, right? Even where you're using third parties, maybe it's a cloud provider, you can arrange that your data is only used in various ways. And that provides guarantees that are useful in some contexts and not useful in others, but it can be a powerful lever. And last, you can, you can use that multi-party computing that we just talked about to make sure no single person can read the data in the first place. And that means that you could hire three different cloud providers to be providing you compute services, knowing full well that no single one of them could read the data and repurpose it for their own ends. Only if all of you collaborate together would that be possible. On the topic of legality, I'm not a lawyer. There are a ton of great resources out there, and frankly, it's a moving target in so many jurisdictions um, that it's well beyond the scope of what I think we could cover here. But there are a number of techniques for making sure you stay between the lines on all the different privacy laws that are emerging worldwide. So we might look at this and we might say, okay, I see the techniques that are appropriate to me. Maybe it's, maybe it's that I should be vague, right? Suitably vague because I only care about country level data. I should dispose of anything that's more identifying than that and keep only that. Uh, or I only need to know how many times a page was visited. I don't need to know every visit by every user over a long period of time, so on and so forth. So then we can ask, what analytics package is right for me, given those? So this is four that are out there. Um, there are, of course, many, many more. And each of these goes quite deep. And so we won't get all the details of all of them. But let me give you an idea of what options exist. So Plausible is a privacy-focused, very simple uh, analytics application. The technique that it takes is to be forgetful. So it does track user activities within a day. If you visit page A and page B and page C, you can see that that was the same user instead of perhaps could be three different users each visiting one page. But at the end of the day, it forgets that unique identifier, right? And, and so what they say is that the, the actions are all de-identified. And de-identification is a, a difficult tightrope to walk. And so I, I kind of use finger quotes when I talk about de-identification because there are situations in which that may not be true. Uh, both during the day, when you can see that this user here was also the person who did this, and you can track that, and also back over time if you're able to find unique patterns in what they've done that are themselves revealing of who the user is. So it's, it's useful, if not ironclad. Another option with Plausible is to keep it to yourself. So you can get a cloud-hosted version in the EU. Uh, they draw clear line. They say we have nothing to do with surveillance capitalism. They're simply hosting analytics for you. You pay them money, they do analytics. That's a great model. You can also self-host it. 
right? And then you know exactly where the data is and you know that you have control over it. Keeps it simple. Their statement is that they only measure the most essential data points, nothing else. This makes it a little less customizable, but honestly for a lot of users who don't have um, the time or the sense of what they want yet, it can be a simple way in the door. Um, it's web focused, but they have SDKs for any number of languages and contexts and frameworks. Uh, those abound. On, the, on, a, on another kind of corner here, we've got Matomo. And superficially, it might sound very similar. It's another open source option, like, like Plausible. And it's something you can self-host. It's web analytics first and, and something that can be done from other SDKs, right? It's hosted in the EU um, and they use some uh, privacy preserving techniques like Bvake, right? They can geolocate a user down to a country or maybe even a city based on IP. Then they'll discard the most identifying parts of that IP address if you'd like. So it's using some of those things, uh, but it takes a different philosophy. Matomo is a more full featured and frankly more um, expansive in its collection, right? So it does a lot of detailed collection. The first arrow you actually see, and this is a, a screenshot from their site, is that it keeps a log of every action each visitor took, and you can scroll through it and see everything somebody's done over the last six months, right? Or last year, or however long they've been using your site. Every page, how many seconds they sent there, so on and so forth. That to me, uh, sure feels overly detailed and not terribly private. The flip side is that Matomo is very configurable. So while it traditionally uses this cookie-based thing and it's got these long-lived identifiers and you can do all these things that are, I would say, very non-private, you can also configure it uh, to exercise a lot of privacy things you might want to, but it requires a lot more sophistication. So it's an option that's out there. It's a little bit more powerful and a little bit more expressive than something like Plausible, uh, but may not be private out of the gate in the way that you want. We should also make a comparison to kind of the most popular package out there, which is Google Analytics, right? This is a centralized product. You're shipping your data to Google. They're one of the biggest advertising companies in the world, if not the biggest. Uh, and it's not, I would say it's not a privacy preserving technology at all, right? It's just our comparison to business as usual. They take the approach of collect it all, sort it out later makes integration easy, makes analysis quite difficult. The one thing they won't let you collect is PII, though their systems may do that in the course of business. For example, they may know IP addresses of users or other identifying things like the cookie of a user and what's going on there. Um, but, but they don't uh, allow their analytics users to collect PII. This product is tightly integrated with advertising products that they sell. So if you're an organization that lives and dies by advertising, you may need to use this, right? This is part of that ecosystem. Uh, but if you're an organization that doesn't depend on advertising, you might go a different direction, right? It's cookie-based. You're going to need those same GDPR uh, cookie consent banners that we're all so familiar with. And, you know, insofar as it is focused on privacy, it's focused on complying with myriad laws. To be honest, it might be better at that than most because they don't want to be liable any more than you want to be liable for violating moving targets in a lot of countries. It's a large and well-resourced team that can uh, help keep the product between the lines there. But often those laws represent a lower bound on what somebody ought to do and 
go figure, we make a privacy-preserving analytics product, I think it's worth holding ourselves to a higher bar than merely what's legal. Uh, and especially than what's legal in that country, but then go do more, go do something that would be illegal um, everywhere else that hasn't bothered to make it illegal yet. Um, I don't think that's the right approach. Lastly, it's worth pointing out that the business as usual model is not just Google Analytics, but often that this coexists with lots of other measurement technologies, tag managers, consent managers. Uh, and if you go look at a large publisher, ironically, Wired is usually the one that I use as an example, you'll find that there are dozens of trackers loaded onto a single page. And these all help different parts of an organization do things, but you look at it and it's very clear what the privacy implications of that are right away. One last thing to point out is that it's free as in beer, right? So you may not be paying dollars out of your wallet to go use Google Analytics, but it's not open source. You can't really control what it's going to be capable of in the future. You can't really look behind the scenes and see all the things that it does. So it's free, but not in a, in a free as in speech way. I want to introduce Clean Insights to you, but by way of asking a different question. So the context most analytics products are built in is asking, how can I gather information on my users? How can I gather information on you? And building Clean Insights, we asked something different. And I think that's because we come from a different space in how we develop software. We asked, how can we work together with our users to build a better product? So we come from the open source world, from human rights, from privacy tech communities, right? And we're not actually here to extract data from our users. You know, I so often hear people say, if you're not paying, then you're the product. And quite often that's true, but sometimes you're not paying and you're not the product. And that's the world that we come from, which is software development can be funded by volunteer effort. It can be funded by donations from foundation funding. And in that case, you don't have to turn your user into a product. You can build something that's out there to serve the user and to collaborate with them. And that's the world that we come from. We're out there to, to serve our users, not to extract data or anything else from them. So we also work with our communities to co-design the software and often to accomplish a bigger ends than simply have this piece of software exist, right? We might be trying to document human rights abuses or helping labor organizers be more effective. So we have a larger end there that we're collaborating towards. In those cases, the question that we ask is, what kind of analytics might we create together to help us with our ends, right? It might not just be for software engineering uh, or design purposes. What might we do together? What you see on the right here are a few screenshots of consent user experience that we've done with our collaborators at OK Thanks. This gives you a sense of the kind of conversation we're having with our user, which is a little bit different than may we put cookies on your device, accept all or manage preferences, right? We want this to be collaborative and we want people to understand how they're a part of what's going on. So clean insights. First thing you'll notice is that we are a consent first platform. Not this boilerplate nonsense that throws up a modal over half of your screen every time you load a web page, but we're big into consent that's meaningful, right? It's time bound. It's encoded into our software development kits, right? It's collecting only what you need and it's being specific about it, right? It's also a school of thought around what constitutes informed consent. How do you explain it? 
How do you meet users at the right point in their journey so that this isn't just another thing I have to click OK on to get what I actually wanted? We also take the approach of collecting only what we need. When you install Clean Insights SDKs, they do not just gather up all the data so you can figure it out later. You decide exactly what you want, and by default, there's not one iota more than that. We aggregate early. That example we talked about, about how many times in a week is the software open versus sending a message every single time. We take that aggregation approach, and it's one of the ways that we really minimize what data is out there. We also don't keep identifiers of you. We say what happened. We don't say who did it. Right? This same saves the trouble of the fancy, sometimes flimsy anonymization techniques. We are not trying to connect things over time. We're just saying this is what happened. There are ways to find out interesting information longitudinally, if that's something you want to do, with, without having to collect who did it. A um, little bit outside the scope of this talk, but one of the approaches we use. We definitely use the keep it to yourself model. In fact, we use Matomo's web app as our back end. Uh, because we don't use the expansive collection that Matomo does by default, we get all the rich benefits of that UI, the management infrastructure is built into that, uh, and, and the self-hosted sovereignty that you get there. We also forward data through an intermediary. Often that intermediary may be yourself, but there's an important technical guarantee there. We use something called the Clean Insights Matomo proxy that collects all the data from devices and throws away the IP address before sharing the actual events that are being recorded with the analytics server. That means that that database, that software, is never going to see a user's IP address or other PII. And that's true even if you're using, say, a cloud-hosted version of Matomo, right? If you have your own Clean Insights Matomo proxy, you've saved that server from any exposure to that data. That means whether they change their mind about how they want to act, whether there's a subpoena or anything else in play, there's no data to misuse, which is a powerful place to start from. And last, we kind of build for the mobile world first. It's part of the world that we came out of. And we offer products that work just as well on the web, but our SDKs abound and are really made to work where your software is, especially if that software is only sometimes online or uh, only sometimes running, which is different than kind of the web interaction model. The last thing I want to talk about today is the co-benefits of privacy-preserving measurement. So we often talk about co-benefits in, say, the environmental space. It turns out that if you want to reduce your carbon footprint, right, that often has other positive benefits in your community. For example, lower asthma rates as a result of fewer emissions altogether. So maybe you get some other benefit that you didn't even know uh, or didn't actually set out to get in the first place. It's true in privacy-preserving measurement as well. It turns out that if you are respecting users' privacy, they can tell they're not being packaged and sold. People like it. You can tell how a company feels about you by the way that they ask for your consent, by what they're doing with your data. Um, and that's a really powerful way to build a relationship between users and organizations. On the more operational end of it, don't get blocked, right? There are a ton of ad block users worldwide, a substantial portion of the population that is being measured in the first place is using ad blockers and tracker blockers, things like Brave, things like Ghostry. If you're doing things in a privacy preserving way, you're less likely to get caught up in that blanket block. Encourages focus on what you actually need. Focus is like one of the 
things in most short supply these days. And rather than have your organization spinning its wheels, looking at dozens and dozens of nested dashboards that all really aren't connected to what your organization needs, if you're upfront setting out what you want to know, what decision you want to make and collecting that data, your organization is going to spend its time focused on those real choices, those important choices, rather than just be caught up trying to make something out of nothing. You also get a lot of the trash off your user interface. If you're not beginning every interaction with, let me place a cookie on your device that I don't actually need to, but I really want your consent for it, and then you have to put that up you know, in a half-page modal, that's a terrible user interface. It's a terrible product to use, right? That's, no one likes that. If you're doing it deliberately, if you're respecting the context that the user has, if you're doing it only where it's appropriate, and you're asking for things that are sensible and collaborative with your users, people are all about it. It, it doesn't leave that same bad taste in your mouth as kind of just the consent fatigue of, say, the GDPR or EP, EDP cookie consent banners. Last, data portability, right? When you need something else from your analytics, you can take your data with you if you're self-hosting it, if you're using an open source solution. Um, these are things that go hand in hand with the privacy preserving world, and it really frees you up. You're not in vendor lock-in in the way that you would be. When you have a unique need, you can break that data out and analyze it in the ways you need to, knowing full well that you've collected a data set that it's safe to do that with. Often with commercial analytics providers, they won't let you export the raw data because they know just how revealing it is. And so they want to have it analyzed only through the context that they approve of because they understand that power, right? So there's so many great things about privacy-preserving measurement that, that go beyond even the basics um, such as actually preserving privacy and having a non-toxic data source and protecting anonymity and so on and so forth, staying legal. If you want to talk more about this, come find us. You can get all sorts of resources at cleaninsights.org or you can come find us at guardianproject.info slash contact and have a cup of insightful beans with us. Thanks for listening and happy measuring from all of us on the Clean Insights team.